the house across the street takes a stay off my lawn to a whole different level. It's the scariest neighbor you've ever had in Monster House. Mafia, wake up, wake up, wake up. You have created a monster and it will destroy you. Babysitter. Mm. Was she the real Did villain you, uh, of the film? That makes you scared of babysitters, Alex? Yeah, terrified. I'm like, I'm not leaving my kids alone with some crazy lady like this. Like, I mean, school. And the parents were being oh, no, 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 fooled, Bones. too. Bones is the scariest character in this thing. That guy is scary looking. Mm, yeah, Bones, <laughs> Bones is scary. Um, you know, I think he's a close second to... Oh man, that name is quite the mouthful. Uh, never cracker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. No doubt, no doubt. Well, welcome back to the Monsters vs. Men podcast. This is the bargain basement of the Monster Podcasting Airwaves, where two friends try to stay alive and stay connected by chatting about weekly monster movies. This week, as we stay alive, we are discussing Monster House. Mm. Um, Alex, uh, I was, and we talk a little bit about this in MVM Plus today, but I was just a little, I thought I was a little too old to go see Monster House when it mm-hmm. came out in 2006. And, to, you know, uh, I would have been 17 years old, and I don't know, it wasn't even really on my radar then. Um, so, yeah, I, I missed this mm-hmm. at its release and, and really didn't even visit it or visit it at all until a couple years ago. Yeah, and meanwhile, I caught it in 3D when it was released. <laughs> midnight showing? <laughs> midnight uh, showing? No, maybe not quite the midnight showing, but this was probably an opening weekend movie. You you, you and the bros or you and the parents? <sighs> That's hard to say, honestly. It, 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 that time period, it could have been yeah. any. I could have I gone with my parents if I couldn't get a friend to go, done that. Uh, it's It's hard to know. Honestly, yeah, yeah. Um, because I, I mean, that's back when I went and saw almost every movie that came out. Yeah. <laughs> Not that you don't do that now at all. Lately, lately, <laughs> but I'm, I'm still missing a few gems out there. You know, still hadn't oh, been yeah. to that Barbie movie, but that that's changing tomorrow. So I'll go. There you go. There you go. <laughs> well, let's get into it, Alex. Uh, I think there's some things that uh, we can discuss here, so I want to jump right in. Yeah, absolutely. While some of our films have felt completely random for Monsters vs. Men, some of our animated films from this series, Monster House may be the first of these animated films to fit squarely into the Monster vs. Meniverse. But similar to most of the films in this series, Monster House brings multiple horror elements to the forefront in a way that may be slightly more palatable for the childlike taste and the taste of their parents. But are are the Monster House walls paper thin or did the film do enough to earn its win? And additionally, Alex, what inspirations did you notice while watching this one? Ah, 
Yeah, I, I think the I think the the walls on this monster house are rock solid, like its foundation. This is just a solid house. The, no tornadoes knocking this thing over. It definitely did enough to earn its win. Uh, I think it it threads that PG horror line for a kids film pretty perfectly, actually. Um. And yes, there are definitely many inspirations in this film, but I think the biggest one that stood out to me was this luring um, of children and bones with children's items, <laughs> uh, which um, that moment where he's bit, where bones gets lured over with a red kite instead of like you know a red balloon. Is pretty on the nose. I love that kind of it reference there, uh, which is awesome. And then we get like those basketball moments with Chowder. I think they're great, actually, especially when it's bouncing in the basement. It's like, dude, you <laughs> you know it's there. And we do it to spend to spend a little disbelief with Chowder's lack of intelligence, which I don't know. You get to see him for a lot in the. Even in the background of this movie, it's pretty clear he's not—he's not the brightest kid, but he is passionate. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, also, Chowder's pretty relatable in terms of like we all know somebody like him. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there, the idea that the house is actually a monster is a lot of fun, and I appreciate that they make this a mobile home at the end of the film. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, thinking about inspiration for this film, the first thing that comes to mind actually in that opening DJ moment when he's looking through the telescope is Rear Window, um, Hitchcock's Rear Window, where he's taking pictures, looking out, um, observing, trying to solve this mystery. And then I tell you, you, you mentioned it, Alex, one of the scariest pieces to me is that moment when Bone sees the red kite in the doorway to lure him in. And yeah, I think it in that moment, but I'm also kind of reminded of something from The Shining. <laughs> like it feels like that sort of influence for a second. And then you have that scene in the house with the pipes. It's almost like the Star Wars sewer scene uh, as well. There's just <laughs> lots of influences in this movie. I think it wears its influences on its sleeve. But the, essentially, you're right, Alex. The reason I said it fits squarely into what we do is that this is a monster film and really a giant monster film. The transformation of the house at the end just takes that to another level. Mm, it really does. I really love the finale here. It is a bit over the top, but man, <laughs> do I love that dynamite throw down the chimney. Yeah. What a fun moment. Like It's a little unbelievable when it first starts, <laughs> but then it becomes so cool, it doesn't matter. <laughs> Yeah, you just don't care. Yeah, yeah. Like it's just it, the payoff is so good that you're like, ah, yeah. I'll, I'll, you get a pass. You get a pass. Mm-hmm. So, and, and that was a big moment in the film where it really showcases that this movie, in a lot of places, is made for 3D. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, it was a pretty good experience going to see it in the theater. Sure. Uh, that way, and see, Cece watching the movie even commented. She goes, "Was this 3D in theaters?" I was like, "Yeah, it was." That's how I saw it. Uh, and you know that whole sequence right there really popped. And I, I appreciate the destroying of the house. 
uh, when it falls into the the uh, quarry, um, and then it cobbles itself back together in its revival to pursue Chowder. I think it looks so cool when it gets back together, and Gwen even commented. She was like, oh, it's a lot scarier now. <laughs> I was like, yeah, it is, it is. And, and while I like the final act, I think it's the other two-thirds, though, that really get me more into the film and enjoying the journey of these characters. One of the things that was like a really nice, pleasant surprise for me in the film is the... Um, it didn't lean into like the cop characters or like adults ignoring the kids for a really long time. Like, yes, everybody ignores the kids, but I appreciate that the monster house probably like forty minutes in grabs both cops and eats them. <laughs> like, yeah. I, I appreciate that that element of it. So, I, there, there's some interesting things that the film does that. I think are actually a little unique for it, and I, I appreciate it just not playing everything safe, despite being a PG kids horror movie. No, you're right. I mean, it doesn't play everything safe. I, I think you're getting to something here that maybe I'll get into in a minute when you talk about the first two thirds getting you into the film more than the final third. I agree with you, but let me praise the film some more first. Uh, yeah, I mean, this film is outdated when it comes to CGI. Uh, it's it's borderline that creepy Toy Story human animation, you know, from the first Toy Story film. <laughs> it doesn't quite get there, but it's borderline, right? Mm. But when it comes to the ambition of the filmmaking and the shots, I think there's a lot to appreciate here, starting with that opening shot that follows the leaf and the girl on the tricycle. Mm. Um, it's really well done, and it just shows you that that they're going to like put some effort into uh, how they're putting these scenes together, which I appreciate. Further, I, I think most of the film's comedy lands for me. Uh, there is a good blend of silly, stupid comedy, which I love, um, a few fun puns, and plenty of coming-of-age jokes. We've said it before, and, and we'll say it again. This film just wouldn't get made uh, in the same way in 2023. Um, one part that may not land for, for our, our 2023 audience may be some of the police officer jokes, right? Uh, like there's a part where, <laughs> you know, they're waving the gun around um, <laughs> kind of nonchalantly. You yeah. know, that's just that's just not happening uh, in 2023. That's for sure. <laughs> I think, um, but even in horror <laughs> elements, right? I, I think uh, uh, one of the cops. I think Officer Lister even mentions that he'll he'll shoot the kids. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. It's it's like oh my gosh. Uh, <laughs> but even in terms of its horror elements, I, I think this goes further than a, a PG film would dare to go nowadays. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I, I think those jokes really work. Like you said, the humor here really works for me. And I got a really good laugh out of the out of Officer Lister in particular, but the cop characters really play the straight man and the goofy character really well in here. Mm -hmm. And I, I'll take the jokes in here <laughs> that are over the top, over the sterile comedy of today, any day. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. especially in animated films like this. It, it really gives it its own distinct personality. And I think you can really tell. 
that this is written by Dan Harmon, who created things like uh, Community and uh, Rick and Morty. You can see some of the that those styles in this movie for sure, uh, especially in, in regards to his comedy, and yeah, which I will always appreciate. And then actually, I like the animation style. I felt similar to you initially about these are ugly like the Toy Story, but then as I watched it more, I'm like, no, this isn't really the Toy Story horror. <laughs> <laughs> looking humans this is some weird cross between uh, almost like Coraline mm. and also something more generic is like the cross between, uh, cross between. And, and I don't really mean that in a bad way honestly because the film looks very different and very unique which I appreciate especially in an environment now today where most of our 3D films look the exact same now that's that's kind of breaking apart at the moment ever since yeah. uh the first animated spider-man movie yeah but we're still breaking that mold and not trying to make everything look the same and this is doing the same thing i mean this is peak pixar but uh the the, the 2000s were a little bit more of an interesting time in animation uh, and until that dark period until the last couple years now for us um, now the other thing that I really like is like I guess this is a here's a negative real quick the characters here most of them are superfluous to a kind of a surprising degree like they really feel, feels like they set up the babysitter to be one of the main characters and have some sort of growth Mm-hmm. And almost frustratingly, there's no development there. Uh, she just falls off the face of the earth and then appears at the very end. Um, and then we get the arcade playing character, voiced by John Heater. And <laughs> and he's not even like in the film. It, I don't know why we went to some of these places when we really didn't need to. So the film does waste its time on these characters that feel like they're going to be a big part and then just vanish. Hmm. Now, the other weird hmm. thing is that people just kind of don't exist in this world somehow when the kids are outside. Um, we see the monster house chasing the kids while kids are actually walking down the street trick-or-treating. <laughs> yeah. But then nobody sees this whole thing happen. And not that, hmm. that being said, it's not really important. Um yeah. At the end of the day. And our core three and Nevercracker are all really fun to watch. I do wish we leaned a bit more into the intelligence of Jenny. You know, this really is the DJ Chowder show with Jenny a little bit. Because we see her scheme with that candy and the babysitter. Yeah. But it didn't lean into that uh, that side of her character that much more. Um, I wish we had gotten to see some more of that cleverness that she was bringing. But she still is a fun member of the team. And I love, just as a unit, how childlike and ridiculous their schemes are. Especially with things like the vacuum man. <laughs> and with Ed Chowder, how he's always crawling on the ground like nobody can see you if you're, if you're on the ground. Um... That being said, though, I do think like my biggest complaint with the film 
is that I would have loved a bit more of an illustrated connection between Nevercracker and Constance. Because in the film, it feels like he's just like, hey, want to get out of the zoo? Or, sorry, not zoo. Want to get out of the circus? And then yeah. they go, and they're in love, and she dies, and he's willing to live there for 45 years. Yeah. Like, yeah. We, we needed that up-type moment, right? Uh, yes. Where we really feel something for these two, and why, and justify them spending him really kind of, I mean, he is in this abusive relationship for 45 mm-hmm. years. No. You're exactly right. You're exactly right, Alex. Um, I will say, though, thinking about the babysitter and thinking about Bones and Skull, these characters that do feel slightly superfluous, Mm -hmm. I think they're superfluous for the plot of the film. I don't think there's really anything that happens plot-wise for them. But I actually Mm -hmm. think they play an important role thematically in in the movie because what they represent is they represent the stage of life that's slightly after DJ's stage of life, right? This is a coming-of-age film. And what the character like a babysitter is representing here is someone that is literally probably five years older (laughs) than DJ, you know, like Mm -hmm. not, not much older, five to seven years older. And essentially, she's still a child, right? Um, she is, mm. she's, she's still a child, uh, in her own right. Uh, like she's still going through the puberty, if you will, um, <laughs> as are some of these other characters like, uh, skull who, who once spent four days, according to chowder in an adult diaper to be a record <laughs> on an arcade video game. Yeah. So <laughs> we get, we get grown children, right? Like, just slightly bigger versions of, of children here. And so I think they play an interesting role thematically to kind of set up a contrast between DJ and them, DJ and his crew, and the older teenagers and their crew. But, yes, I have a couple issues with the film overall. Mm. The backstory and motivation of the house is thin um, when the explanation finally comes to light. Uh and, you know, I mentioned that red kite scene earlier, which I appreciate, but I wish the film did a bit more with that. Though I don't know how much more they could get away with with the kids' film. I, I guess it just has to settle for lure, luring an almost grown man into its house. Um, <laughs> this isn't it, after all. <laughs> um, right. But, yeah, to go back to Nevercracker, I would have liked to seen a bit more about why he was attracted to Constance. I don't say uh-huh. that in a negative way. He obviously... It, there's something about her that he is there to protect. He is there to love and care for, right? But that backstory is just so thin. Um, and she's mean the whole time, too. She's mean the whole time. She's mean from from the really the one scene we see them together. She's mm-hmm. mean, right? Um, and so that's an issue. Right? You just never see any real connection between them. Um and so it, that's hard. That's a hard sell for me. Um, I think that part should have been stretched out and explored a bit more. And the climactic 30 minutes, which we both said we liked, I think that could have been shortened. Um, it just goes on quite a bit. Uh, and I like those action hero moments. They're awesome <laughs> with our three leads. But it, it's drawn out too much. 
and, and mm-hmm. so that last 30 minutes should have been shortened in order to make some more character building time in the middle. And that also would have created a more meaningful climax as well. Um, just helping the film as a whole. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. 100%. Well, on MVM Plus today, Alex, we uh, kind of summarize our kids' reaction to this movie because uh, all of our kids watched it. Well, maybe not Archie, but uh, all the other kids <laughs> uh, watched it. Um, and so we will uh, summarize their reactions. Did they love the Monster House or not? And that kind of leads us into our own experience as children watching horror films and how much exposure we had to uh, any scary movies. And finally, mm-hmm. you give us your initial reaction to Oppenheimer. Um, and that's at patreon.com forward slash Pod. But let's get into our awards, Alex. Compelling character award, who you got? Yeah, for me, I've got to give it to Deborah Cracker. You know, it, he seems... First off, the man is brought back from the dead. Uh, no... <laughs> Which is uh, compelling in itself, right? I mean, his back cracks, Eric. He goes down. He can't blink. He's not blinking. He looks like he's dead. He's dead. And he's carried off. He's very clearly dead. The man's self-resuscitated on the way back to the hospital, it sounds like to me. Um, So he's a man of iron will. Now, the (laughs) the other thing here, though, that is interesting is... He's got this background in uh, demolitions in the army. He keeps TNT inside the house um, at all times. Now, maybe he's been flirting with destroying the house for a while. I think that that could be like a real possibility for him. Um, but then the other element is, you know, I don't, just I would love to know, like we said, this is the negative of the film, but more about why he's willing to suffer for 45 years in this house that he loves, but is also just completely being abused by. Um, and I think that's a really interesting element of the film is that relationship. I just wish it had been fleshed out a bit more. Mm. Yep. Now you're right. Uh, my compelling character is Reginald Skalinski. Uh-uh. His friends call him Reggie skull. Uh, his fans call him the skull. Uh, <laughs> oh boy oh boy uh, yeah. I mean this guy has all the moves uh, whenever he is playing his video games and he uses those moves then to maybe uh, <laughs> um, maybe attract the babysitter at the end of the movie though mm. I don't really think that's going to work out for him too much yeah, it probably won't. Uh, but you know, he, Skull Skull's gonna take what he can get for the time being. I don't think he can be particularly picky. No, I don't think so. And she's just so. doing this to get back at Bones. Exactly. Uh, most memorable <laughs> line award, Alex. What you got? Uh, yeah, my most memorable line is uh, from Chowder. He's, t- he's talking about his basketball. It's sitting on. Uh, Neva Cracker's lawn. He's like, I paid 20, 28 dollars for that ball. I had to mow ten lawns and ask my mom for a dollar twenty six times. 
Oh, I love it. Yeah, no, I love that line. Honestly, he has some of the most funny lines uh, in this. I love Ooh. the part. I love the part when uh, he he stares at disbelief at the bottle of pee. It says, oh. D- I can't remember the exact line, but he's like, DJ, that is just, you do, what did you do, DJ? <laughs> I love that. Uh, just throws him so under funny. the bus. Just tanks him. Uh, yeah, it's so good. Uh, my line, though, even the chowder had probably the most lines. My line came from DJ. Mm. And it's uh, Z asking, what's your problem? And DJ says, uh, puberty. Yeah, I'm having lots and lots of puberty. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's just good. Like I, I, I really appreciate some of the coming of age moments here. Um, it is that awkward time for these three lead characters trying to kind of figure out their place. And DJ, I think, does a good job at representing it. And that's that's just a funny line. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's a good one. What about uh, you can't believe the acting war docs? I'm going to give it to Nick Cannon as Officer Lister. Uh, this is the dumb cop. <laughs> and he is so funny. Everything he says is like is so outlandish and stupid. Uh, I really love it. Like he just overreacts to everything, but in a way that is completely idiotic. I don't know. There's there's something really funny about it, and also he's waving a, a gun in everybody's face. <laughs> it feels like at all times, which is also a uh, selling point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> what, what about you? Mine is an actor that has appeared before in this animated series, and it's Steve Buscemi as oh. Nevercracker. Um, yeah, he's he's great, right? He's terrifying uh, for the majority of this film, and then slightly personal at the end when we get a little bit of his backstory. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, I think it's I think it's a good performance. I'm I'm pretty scared of that neighbor myself, so gotta give it up to him. Mm, yeah. All right, about, Eric. Uh, yeah. What about your oh that's a good shot of war? <laughs> My shot is the crane shot, which is just a funny name because it's literally a crane shot in this case. <laughs> and it's at the end when DJ is swinging from the crane <laughs> and it's it goes back and forth it's a continuous sequence right mm-hmm. where he's trying to get this uh the dynamite into the chimney in this seemingly impossible task and the shot kind of goes back and forth between dj and the dynamite and i think it's thrown from one character to another it's just a complete action hero um awesome moment that he pulls off and then the explosion happens at whenever he's swinging away and that mm-hmm. entire sequence is great, but but the crane shot in particular is just a really cool sequence um, that took a lot of planning and, and care to pull off. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think that's what I would have picked. Um, but since you picked it, I had to go outside the box, a.k.a. inside the box, and select the kite in the door. Uh, mm-hmm. that, that red kite just hovering there in the door. Really, probably the best horror moment of the film. 
Um, but the other one that I actually really like as well is the shot uh, when DJ falls asleep and that the house's shadow goes into his room and slowly grows and grows uh, and the room turns red. I think it's really cool looking. Mm. Yeah, I will use... Since you gave two shots, Alex, I will okay. use a follow-up shot to kind of get into uh, my unique award, which is the scariest part according to a three-year-old award. Ooh, okay. uh, but also, I mean, I think my daughter Sage makes a good case here for the scariest part. Mm-hmm. It's the part when uh, Nevercracker seemingly dies. Oh, and, yeah. <laughs> and falls down on top of DJ there's another great shot when you get that shot looking up from DJ's perspective at Nebercracker's empty eye Mm. (laughs) Uh, and you're like oh my gosh that is a dead man that just fell on top of him (laughs) Um, and it's such a unique shot right? you you can't really do that in live action in that sort of way um, just with the coloring and the lighting so it comes right on to DJ, and it's a super close up of that eye, and it's pretty terrifying. Mm, yeah, that is a good one, uh, Eric. What about your unique awards? Well, oh wait, that, that was, was your my, unique that award. Was unique. It was, that what was your yours? combo second shot and unique. That's right. Yeah, yeah. All right. As for mine, mine's the surprised you're laughing award, and that's when the house is eating the cop car. She's like, oh my god, the kids are still in there. <laughs> <laughs> she was laughing at it. I was like, oh, I thought you'd be terrified of this. Uh-huh. <laughs> she was having a oh, blast. Yeah. Yeah. All right, man. Final thoughts and tiered rating. Uh, I'll go ahead and go. Okay. Um, first time I watched this film was probably three years ago. Um, and I watched it with Theo after some students told me uh, that that they would like it. I, I might have even watched a little bit with some of them um, during a finals week time hmm. but uh yeah so i watched it with theo and i enjoyed it right i enjoyed it definitely gamma tier film but but kind of mid gamma tier this time it's still gamma tier because i think some of the issues that i had then i still have now but it's upper gamma tier and there's just a lot to appreciate i really appreciate the horror and the comedy which is essentially what this film is going for um mm. is both of those moments um that is what this film is so it does well in a lot of those aspects especially the humor most of the humor 90 percent of it works for me in this movie so uh i'm impressed there some mm. of the story elements in that transition into the final third where we get the backstory are just thin. uh and that hurts the final third. So because of that, it feels like the first two thirds, like you mentioned, are the stronger pieces, whereas the final act is unfortunately the weaker one um, because it just feels less believable, not because of the crazy action sequences, but because the motivation doesn't feel quite right. Um, There's something missing there. So this is, a gamma tier film but it is an upper gamma tier film for me at this point my my uh rating of it did rise on a second view oh very nice yeah for for me um 
I'm a little surprised. I, the more I think about the film, uh, which, you know, I did watch it today. <laughs> but the more I sit on it, the more impressed I am with the film. And how it toes that line, especially for a PG-13, or sorry, a PG film. Um, and how it handles its horror elements and some of the comedy in the film. It, it really lands almost every bit of comedy for me. And then it also manages to nail the horror, and then it has a pretty excellent action sequence. Really, the biggest hit is some of the side characters, uh, but especially Nebercracker and Candace's relationship. It needed to grow um, to for us to understand why Nebercracker is invested in Candace because we always ever see her be mean, which clearly transport or transferred into the house because um, we just never see that kind side to her, unfortunately, despite her having such like a, a, a sad origin story in a way. Um, with like being at the zoo and having a tomato store, sorry, I said zoo again, <laughs> being at the uh, circus and having stuff thrown at her. Uh, it is a sad setup, just with no payoff on that end. But that being said, I'm going to give this a, a low Godzilla tier. I, I think this is an exceptional children's film that is sometimes questionably for children. <laughs> um, but I, there's just a lot to like here, and I'm still I, I'm impressed by what the film does, both technically in terms of like like you said you're talking commenting on that crane shot and how long that lasts there's a lot of shots that uh will twist upside down and rotate through a room and do stuff like that a lot of stuff we don't see in most animated films uh and then our characters are very likable uh, so I, I, I gotta give this a Godzilla tier. I, 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 my complaints are so minor overall that, uh, you know, I can't ignore it. <laughs> yeah. No. All right. I like it, man. I like it. Um, so next week we're going to take another detour in our animated series uh, because Shin Kamen Rider has been released on Amazon Prime, mm. and Shin Kamen Rider fits into it's it's just a must watch film for our show so we've Absolutely. reviewed other common Rider films before um, we re- reviewed Shin Ultraman and Shin Godzilla so I think Shin Common Rider is a must and we'd rather cover that sooner rather than later so we'll jump into Shin Common Rider next week will it feature another villain spider Alex or Ooh. will it be more focused on the fighter mm, yeah I mean I've already seen seen the common uh, writer of Shin. Do I think that this movie is a sin, or well, well when it ends, will I have a grin? Mm. There we go. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> landed that. Landed. Yeah, that. yeah. <laughs> it, it was a little rocky. <laughs> it was touch and go for a minute. <laughs> As always, thank you for listening to Monsters vs. Men. You can leave us feedback on this episode at nvmpod.com or email us at nvmpod at gmail.com. You can also follow us and message us on Twitter and Instagram at nvm underscore pod. Become a bargain base at my patreon.com forward slash nvmpod and receive weekly bonus content, including special reviews, interviews, 
and host chats. And if you can't share at this time, a review or a share always helps. Monster First Minute is produced by Alex Cornette. Executive producers are Kevin Alexander, Faye Basier, John Freeman, and Michael Herndon. Special thanks to our wives, comma, Rock Band for PlayStation 3, which forms sub Block B, Louis Loop, Senior Honda, Drew the Collector, Instagram Connector, and you, the listener, as always, for listening. Until next time, don't. G- give your babysitter some glasses so she can clearly see the monster house across the street. <laughs> and try, try to, to stay, stay alive. Mafia, wake up, wake up, wake up. You have created a monster and it will destroy you. She was literally looking out the door while the sidewalk was raised up, trying to roll that girl down its mouth. <laughs> literally outside and didn't see it. <laughs> That's what drugs will do to you.